Welcome to Learned Lag, a podcast about yesterday's Learned League questions and answers. I'm George. And I'm Amanda. George and I are both in Zephyr A. This is season 24 for me and season 28 for George. This is day 20 of season 96. Our first question asks us what term rugby, rugby union uses for its penalty box. Right, and it notes that it's a rhyming term, which helped me a great deal in thinking about this. Um, I don't know rugby. Um, I've you know, read the occasional thing about it over the years, but not enough to set down its rules or lingo or anything like that. Um, and so at the same time, I, um, just kind of was thinking about like, what other penalty box type terms are there out there? Like, um, there's always gonna be, you know, slang for those, uh, based on various cultures and things. And I thought about how, you know, when you, commit a penalty or an infraction or whatever, um, you know, maybe that's sort of like a sin. And so, and then the phrase sin bin kind of popped to mind, like I probably heard it somewhere, but didn't know this was the context in which I heard it. Um, but I thought it's rhyming. It sounds um, British inflected enough to be part of something like rugby union, sure. which is, you know, sort of British Commonwealth, you know, kind of uh, nations play that that game. Um, and so I thought Sinbin, yeah, I feel like that's a term that I've heard. I'm pretty sure it applies to what this is talking about. Um, and I don't, you know, I, I just, it doesn't seem like I should think too much farther about this because... It, you know, just popping to mind seemed so catchy that like, yeah, that sounds like exactly the kind of thing um, you would hear as slang for something like this. So I put down sin bin. Reasonable. Um, I had no idea. Uh, I don't know rugby, nor do I particularly know hockey. So mm -hmm. I thought even like if this were, you know, maybe a term used in hockey informally, mm -hmm. that I wouldn't get that either. So I just kind of <laughs> had to think of, okay, let's think about what a penalty box might be called. Just kind of, let's let's get the noun and see if we can rhyme an adjective to it. Um, and all I could really come up with using this process was hot spot. Oh. Um, just nothing else really. You know, where, what's that area over there that you have to stand when you've committed an infraction? Like mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. The, the hairy area, no. The, <laughs> the dom domicile, vicinity, place, the, mm. the, the, the mace place, no. The, 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 the race place, no. Just nothing. So finally I just said hot spot and knew I would not get it. Sinbin was the correct answer. Well done. So, so is that used in hockey as, a, as an informal term? It's possible that I've heard it kind oh. of uh reference there okay. um as you followed hockey I, more than i have see here's the thing if i had if this question was asked in reverse like what sport is the penalty box called a sin bin oh, yeah, I then i there's no way i would get this i would think it was like soccer or something like mm -hmm. that so i don't know if soccer even has such a thing um but i wouldn't be surprised if either it or other sports you know might have taken on a similar, you know, mm -hmm. um, terminology because it it's so catchy and just sure. kind of uh, very suita uh, suitable, mm -hmm. you know, to what it is. Um, but, I mean, it, uh, I'm trying to think of other penalty box 
terms that I know of. Yeah. There aren't really any. Um, it's a it's a very hockey thing in yeah. in American sports. We just don't have those. Like it's the, a lot of times that what you'll hear it referenced to is maybe like someone's in jail, so like mm-hmm. being in the pokey or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. But that's just okay. that's not really a term of art. Mm-hmm. It's just you know the commentators being commentatory, right? So, so yeah, I, I must have uh, picked mm-hmm. up on this somewhere, but I <laughs> I will never know where. <laughs> Uh, question two asks us for a verb that means to soften fruit by steeping it in spirits or syrup or sugar. Uh, so my first thought on this was blanching, mm. uh, largely because I know that that is a term in cooking and I do not know what it means. <laughs> uh, I, I, I sort of thought like, I feel like that's more a heating thing, but I couldn't really think of like, what would blanching be that's not like any of the other heating things I could think of? Like it's not mm. chafing, it's not baking, it's not broiling, it's not roasting. And mm-hmm. I thought, is it just like soak? I feel like it. it's a way of soaking something to do something to it, just to soak it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, yeah, that, that, okay, that, that might be it. I feel like I've heard more of blanched vegetables, but maybe it's just another term when you do it in sugar for fruit or whatever. And then I tried thinking, okay, let's come at it the other way. What's Latin for to soften? (laughs) I have no idea. I could not Mm. think of anything that would have been described as soft in Latin that I might have read of. Mm. Uh, Not a lot of, you know, college mottos that are like, (laughs) load the softness of knowledge or something (laughs) like that. Uh, So, yeah, just nothing, nothing else came to mind. So I was... I was more confident of Blanche than I was of Hotspot, but, you know, 10% versus 30%. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, I went with Blanche and moved on. Um, I will uh, tell you that Blanche refers to dipping something in boiling water briefly in order that it can be peeled easily. Okay. So tomatoes, for example, are something okay. you would Blanche in order to peel them and then if you're going to put sure. them in sauce or you're going to can them or something you know you want them ready to use and not with okay. lots of peel you know kind of uh, accompanying them but it's also steeping essentially uh steeping would be a much longer okay uh immersing in oh, water okay. like tea you steep do, tea for example do you, do you blanch the hard-boiled eggs after you is, is, is that uh, kind of the no, same process? No, that is, is that shocking in and, fact. Okay, okay. Um, that's where you um, want to stop the heating of the mm. eggs, so you put them in an ice water bath. And okay. That's, that's, I think I've heard shocking is a term for that. Uh-huh. Um, but this term in the question uh, is macerating. And I, I think I learned this uh, either from just my, my reading about cooking over the years or more likely from my mother, um, where, you know, thank goodness the, the final parenthetical in this question was included. Um, because this is the form of macerating where you take, for example, cut up strawberries and you sprinkle sugar over them and mix that together and the sugar draws moisture out of the fruit to create a syrup. Um, and then that's, you know, how you might prepare strawberries to put over shortcake, for example, because okay. they have a nice little bit of uh, sauciness to them. Sure. It brightens up their flavor and sweetens them, you know, if they're not the greatest mm-hmm. <laughs> strawberries that you have. Um, and that is the process of macerating that I first learned of. Um, I suppose I know, like, I I don't know if I've encountered these other forms of it. 
Um, although sometimes what you will do is macerate the fruit with the sugar and then cook it down a little bit, like for pie filling, thicken it up, mm. you know, that kind of thing. Okay. I don't know okay. if that counts as part of the macerating process or not. Um, but the, honestly, the Latin to soften part almost tripped me up on this one. Because, mm. like, I don't know what the Latin to soften is, but I don't know that macerate sounds like that. Yeah, it really does. It, it you know, it sounds almost like masticate or something, which yeah, clearly 100%. is spelled differently. And, you know, you can tell there are different roots in there, but, you know, my brain didn't like the idea of admitting that, you know, this, that's how the Latin might work out for this term. I just kind of relied on that last definition of steeping, you know, with sugar to, to, um, uh, draw out moisture. Mm -hmm. uh, I know that is macerating. So I put down macerate. And that was correct. Okay. Well Phew. Question three asks us for the third film in a thematic series. Uh, it began in 1986, uh, had its second installment in 1989, and finished in 1993 with Heaven and Earth, starring Tommy Lee Jones and Joan Chen, and asks us for one of the previous two films. Right. Um, so I I have a faint recollection of this movie coming out because I feel like I can kind of, you know, picture how Tommy Lee Jones might have looked in a preview or something for it. Um, and so I thought, well, what, you know, the thing I first focused on was the um, thematic part of the series. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, this is called Heaven and Earth. So, uh, and it's featuring uh, actors with Asian sounding names. Um, and so I thought, uh, was there a movie like In the Kingdom of Heaven? Or, you know, I'm thinking of things that are sort of celestial or, um, you know, kind of high minded, even like aristocratic, like you know, Empire of the Sun or The Last Emperor or, you know, turning a bunch of those types of possibilities over in my mind. Like the director of this was not coming to me right away. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was just kind of starting my brain off thinking about this. Like this is definitely the hardest question of the day to me um, because it's not kind of, you know, I knew I hadn't seen this movie. I said, pretty sure I haven't seen this movie. Um, and so it took me a while to kind of pull my lens back a little bit and think about, okay, we've got uh, two names included in the list of actors that definitely seem to be Vietnamese, um, like specifically. And so that I kind of ruled out like, no, it's probably not Empire of the Sun or The Last Emperor, because um, I feel like both of those are Japan. Um, and, you know, Joan Chen wouldn't fit that, uh, you know, that geographic area, I guess, um, is the way I'm thinking of it. And so I thought, well, okay, what if this is just the thematic part of this is not so much like the plot wise bit of it, but just the connection of Vietnam. And I had this idea in the back of my head that like, like Oliver Stone kind of floated to mind as far as directors that might be associated with this. Mm. Um, and so I was like, well, I can think of, you know, at least a couple of very popular um, movies about Vietnam that came out in this period of the 80s. And this was when, you know, Oliver Stone and other directors were really starting to excavate a lot of, you know, the, the themes and the meaning of America's misadventure in Vietnam. Um, and so I thought 1986... 
Sounds about right for platoon. Um, and then I thought 89, I think, would have been born on the 4th of July. Um, but I'm less certain about that. I am less certain that that is, um, you know, likely Oliver Stone and um, part of this, you know, thematic collection, I guess. Um, and so I, I went with Platoon because I thought... I think that's likely to be part of this. Not that I was confident about it, mind you. I just thought that sounds like a plausible linkage that could tie three films from this period of time together um, from a same director, which I, again, was like maybe half confident it was Oliver Stone. So I put down Platoon. I kind of went through that more same process more quickly yeah um i i, I saw this and and you know, after the first two questions i was like oh thank god this is something i know <laughs> i know this one i i can think of it i can't i don't know it but i can think of it right and yeah. i you know looked okay Heinegor, uh in fact a cambodian actor cambodian american oh. Oh, uh, uh shot to fame due to the killing fields oh, he was in that right um but then I thought, okay, but it's not the killing fields. One of the first two was not the killing fields. There were not like right. more, more killing fields and killing fields <laughs> three, heaven and earth. Um, so I, I, but I also thought, okay, so he, after the killing fields, what else would he have done? He would have done something else. Uh, like very, like I, I recall him. I, I honestly don't know whether he's still alive. I don't know whether he's still acting. I mm. don't remember the last time I saw him in anything. But yeah. he was always a very serious actor. He, this was this was not going to be the third Bill and Ted movie. It was <laughs> a, so this was going to be something serious, probably something also uh, at least quasi historical. Okay. Um, like the Killing Fields, uh, and then I then I thought, okay, with Joan Chen and Hiaple in there, um, this is going to be something about you know. One American dude, three Asian people. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, oh, this is definitely going to be about something Southeast Asian, something Vietnam war -y. This is Oliver Stone's big, like, kind of the, the end of his incredible streak in the, mm -hmm. in the 80s and mm -hmm. early 90s. Yeah, this, now I remember this movie. I didn't see it either, but I remember it happening and uh, really kind of bringing... I won't say his career to a crashing halt, but like it was, you know, it was, the guy made Platoon, the guy made Born on the Fourth of July, Wall Street, just this incredible, mm -hmm. just a murderer's row of movies in in the eighties, and then this thing, uh, which just didn't go anywhere. And I don't know whether it was because it wasn't good or whether it was just because by that time, honestly, people were probably tired. Yeah, maybe not but, quite their thing. By but then. yeah, I knew that this was. I, I remembered at the time that it was kind of this wrap up to this trilogy he had of. Platoon was in Vietnam, Born on the Fourth of July was here's an American coming back from Vietnam, and then right. this movie was about, uh, more specifically, a Vietnamese woman who uh, was a refugee and what her life was like after that. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah, uh, specifically it was Hiep Thi Le, okay. who uh, was like just out of college when she got this role and it hmm. uh, it was it was like it was it was her entire life like she was the star of the movie. Okay. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones was the big name in the movie, but she mm -hmm, was the mm -hmm. she was the main role. It was based on an actual Vietnamese American uh, refugee's uh, autobiography. Oh wow! Um, so yeah, I 
uh, just kind of had to figure, and, and I, I did the calculations, 86 platoon, yeah, sounds about right, I think I was in, in or near, near high school, mm-hmm. uh, born on the 4th of July, was in 89, yeah, that sounds about right, that was like right when Tom Cruise suddenly became an actor. Right. Uh, so, okay, yeah, we'll go with, and I, and I also said platoon, because I was more certain that I would not screw up one, a one-word name than a six-word title. Yes, indeed. And that was a correct answer, as was Born on the Fourth of July. So uh, right down the middle there. Uh, Question four asks, what city uh, Haydn's last 12 symphonies are named after, as well as Vaughn Williams' second symphony, and then gives us a little detail about this city's orchestras. Uh, So we got three English names, and then we got Haydn, who I, I seem to recall was that guy who who was a continental composer and then moved to England. Yes. Um, I, I knew I knew it was one of the H guys. Um, <laughs> so I thought, okay, this is going to be England. Um, so what is it? What are the symphonies of Haydn? The, the, the something symphonies and also Vaughn Williams's Humpsome symphony. And, for, and, and I thought, well, it's not London. That's too obvious. That wouldn't be a thing. So maybe it's so. So what's another city in England that would have uh, a symphony and a philharmonic orchestra? And mm. so it's it's got to be something. It's got to be an important city, um, but something that's not London or like London adjacent. It's gonna it's gonna be independent of that. I thought I'm thinking of Brighton, Bristol, Manchester. Is there Leeds? Is Leeds in England? I think Leeds is in Wales. Anyway, it could still be that. Sure. Uh, so is. And just kind of bounced around trying to think of other cities that might be able to support two orchestras that were important enough that people know who the who their directors and conductors are and w- that might have had you know, 13 symphonies named after them. And I thought <laughs> Manchester kind of landed like Man- the Manchester symphonies, the Manchester symphony. That sounds like it would work. Okay. The Manchester... Liverpool, now Manchester, the, the Liverpool symphonies, no, the Manchester, yeah. Yeah, let's go with Manchester, sure. Okay. Uh, yeah, this one I uh, took a little bit of a flyer on because, you know, I certainly didn't know this cold or anything. Um, I knew that Haydn had, had moved, I think, from Germany to England uh, at some point in his life, and... Um, so I, I guess I kind of figured a composer in that era would definitely be in London as opposed to anything, any city that was smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, I did have that, that sneaking feeling like that's really too obvious, isn't it? Like the, the London Symphony Orchestra, the London Philharmonic. Um, and yet I couldn't quite shake the idea that those, you know, A, that this was the city likely is to have two different orchestras like this. Um, and B that, you know, Sir Simon Rattle and Edward Gardner are about as British sounding as they can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just really, it, I, I almost felt like it was one of those funny, you know, two obvious questions that turns out to be the obvious answer. Um, because really, are we going to be expected to know that Manchester or, or somewhere like that has, you know, these things all kind of clustered around it in classical music. I just thought, you know, London is like the center of 
classical music in England that I know of, and I know England is the country we're going for. Um, so I went ahead and put down London because I thought, yeah, I've heard of the LSO. I've heard of the London Philharmonic. I, I think we'll go with that. Reasonable, especially since it was correct. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> Question five asks us for an aircraft manufacturer that merged with the Grumman Aerospace Corporation in 1994. Yeah, this one really was a matter of um, uh, sort of playing around with or letting my brain kind of bubble up with, you know, what goes with Grumman as far as aircraft goes. And um, I've heard, I knew I had also heard it uh, talked about, you know, probably on NPR or who knows where, as Northrop Grumman. Um, and I thought, yeah, sure, that sounds about right. Um, I didn't really even try to consider any others because I was pretty sure it was just sort of, you know, first name, second name that the company is now known by. And I, you know, I guess I've been hearing since 1994 that the thing is called Northrop Grumman. And so I put down Northrop. Uh, yeah, I, you know, worked for, I was in the army. I worked for a military, for a, yeah. uh, for a corporation that was involved in military acquisitions. Mm -hmm. Uh, this, this is a big defense contractor. Yeah. Uh, they advertise in a lot of the, uh, in a lot of your wargaming magazines and the like as hmm. well, because they know their audience. Yeah. Uh, and this is, you know, Northrop Grumman. So mm -hmm. I said Northrop and Northrop Corporation was the correct answer. I presume Northrop will be sufficient uh, in that case. Finally, question six asks us, what style of art and architecture succeeded Romanesque um, and flourished in Northern Europe from the mid-12th to the 16th centuries? So my, my first thought was Baroque. And I mm. thought, eh, it doesn't quite work. And I thought, okay, mid twelfth to sixteenth. That's like, is I don't know if that's pre Renaissance, but that's like, kind of pre, uh, uh, like discovery of America. So kind of, you know, before uh, most of my historical studies really have been. Mm. Um, so, you know, what was a thing that only happened in Europe? for that for that time through about that time and it pretty much petered out by the time uh, europeans were building stuff in america mm. uh, and i thought gothics i feel like was was that like it was technologically uh of, of a of that time like right around you know bef just before the uh the the large uh, colonization large scale colonization of the the eastern u.s at least mm -hmm. um and, and central america by by spain and such um so yeah there were gothic cathedrals that were built was that around that time i feel like i was just reading like within the last couple of days about notre dame a famous i believe gothic cathedral that was built around that time or at least mm -hmm. some parts of it were uh, some stage of its construction was was in that sort of pre uh, certainly pre-revolutionary time so that would fit and then the fact that uh, it was condemned by renaissance artists as barbaric oh okay the barbarians were the goths that's probably a big hint there so yeah 
we'll go with gothic. I, I had a similar train of thought with this one, which is just that thinking of, you know, what I picture of, of art and architecture from that period, it's it's very much like the Gothic cathedrals and thing are things are what I think of as hailing from that time period. Um, and uh, I think, as you said, the the uh, Italians viewing this as barbaric fit right in with my vision of the Goths and the Visigoths mm-hmm. and, you know, those those people who would have been, um, I guess, arriving in Europe. I, I don't know the history and how they arrived, if it was a very, you know, uh, if it was a wave of immigration or if it was people kind of waging wars or skirmishes or whatever, I don't, you know, I, I don't have a good grasp on that. Um, but I thought, yeah, the Goths, that's that's basically um, pretty literally who people considered uh, barbaric at those times, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I thought this probably had to be Gothic as well. And it was. It was. Which means... I bearded. it. Well done. How about that? I got three. So, mm. gonna, We swapped places. I'm up and down for us this week. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a bummer. And I'm going up against the second best player in my public and private rundles. So, going to be a lot of L's. Oh, well. well, you can take comfort that, you know, that person may well beer it. So, yeah. <laughs> like, I, I feel like I... Uh, somehow landed on the right coin flip or direction or whatever on lots of questions that I didn't really know, no. <laughs> like I knew Macerate, um, you know, and I knew Northrop Grumman and the other four were kind of like, well, let's see how this turns out. Sure. Um, cause I, you know, definitely had to piece together that, that the film one really, um, was my last one to put down. Um, the other ones I thought, you know, again, this is a plausible guess, but the film one, I was like, films of the eighties, man, I know that I know something about them <laughs> and I had just better yep. hang on to that one until it shook loose a little bit. Reasonable. Um, so pretty pleased that the other stuff worked out. That was rather a surprise to me. I, I didn't look at this day and think, oh yeah, I, I got five of these cold and the sixth one's going to come. Mm-mm. <laughs> So that's kind of a a fun outcome, Uh, especially on a day, can I say, when the time change was laying waste to my mood and just, you know, physical um, feeling, I guess. I, oof. Yesterday wasn't great, but it's the second day of being discombobulated that really, I think, starts to show through a lot more. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, much like... For you, you felt. I know yesterday you felt like, yeah, this is kind of a good lift for me. This, this kind of to help turn my day around a little bit, which is mm-hmm. one of those nice effects of competitive trivia <laughs> when you have a good performance. Yep. Well, that's it for today. Tune in tomorrow for more post-game analysis, and remember, don't forfeit. Don't cheat.